Thank you, choir. That was great. Y'all just keep getting better and better. Open your Bibles this morning, please, to Genesis chapter 30. Our main text is in Genesis chapter 30, and we're going to be in chapter 31 quite a bit as well, so you can just kind of flip the page over if you need to. Uh, But Genesis chapter 30, and I want to ask you a question this morning. How do you feel about your job? How do you feel about your work? Now, some are thinking, come on, preacher, it's Sunday. We don't want to talk about work or think about work. I know it can be a touchy subject. In fact, when it comes to jobs and when it comes to work, I learned this past week that uh, according to uh, Gallup, 70% of workers in the United States are not engaged at work. 70%, 7 out of 10 workers are not engaged at work. You might be thinking, what does that mean, they're not engaged at work? Well, here's how they defined it. These employees are not hostile or disruptive. They show up and kill time, doing the minimum with little extra effort to go out of their way for customers. They are less vigilant, more likely to miss work and change jobs when new opportunities arise. They are thinking about lunch or their next break. Maybe you work with anybody like, no, don't answer out loud. Does that bring to mind anyone? Maybe that's you today. Seven out of ten workers, according to Gallup, are not engaged at work. They're just going through the motions. They're just killing time. They're punching in and longing for when they can punch out. Well, I wonder how many people would admit to, because 70% are not engaged. I wonder how many of them would actually say, and maybe you go to the next step and say that they actually hate their jobs. They despise their jobs. And then they got me thinking about the other 30%. If 7 out of 10, if 70% are not engaged, that would mean that there are 30%, 3 of those 10 are engaged. What does that mean? Well, here's how to define that. Engaged employees are involved in, enthusiastic about, and committed to their work. That is, these workers, they're involved, they're enthusiastic, and they're committed to their work. Now, where do you fall in all of this? Are you one of the seven, or are you one of the three? Some are thinking, well, I'm retired. (laughs) Well, I've noticed that most people who are retired are busier in their retirement than they seem to be when they were working. You you might be retired, but you're still working in some realm. It might be out in the garden. It might be out in the yard. You're working at church. You're working in the community. You're working in various places. So if you're retired today, don't check out and take a nap quite yet. Wait till we get to noontime and then you can. But whatever it is that you do. Whatever your work is, whatever your work uh, entails, and our work is so different among uh, our, in our world, whatever you're involved in, whether you're engaged or disengaged or even filled with rage, I want you to pay attention as we study the Word of God today. If we were to go back and ask our man Jacob that we're studying right now about uh, this topic, we were to ask him this question about what do you think about your job And what do you think about your work? I mean, we've seen so many areas of his life already. We've seen his personal life and his personal choices. We've seen his family life. We know a lot about his wives and his children. But what what about his work? I think if we were to go and ask Jacob this question and say, Jacob, what do you think about your work? What do you think about your job? I think I I believe I know what he might would have said to answer that. I believe he might have told us at least three things about his job, three things about his work. And I'm not basing this upon my imagination. I'm basing it upon the word of God. And so we're going to get in Genesis 30 here. We'll be in verse 25 in just a second. 
But if we were to go and ask Jacob that question and uh, we said, Jacob, what do you think about your job? What do you think about your work? I think, first of all, he might say this about his job, about his work. He would say, you know what? My work is hard. My work is hard. Can I get a witness today? Can anybody else say that about your job? My work is hard. Now look at Genesis chapter 30, verse 25 and 26. Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 and 26. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph. Now, Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob. Jacob said to Laban, his father-in-law and his boss, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children from whom I've served you and let me go for, you know, my service, which I've done for you. You remember, Jacob had promised to work for 14 years in order to have uh, Laban's daughters as his wife. So for 14 years, he's been laboring for Leah and for Rachel. And the time is up. And he goes to Laban and says, dismiss me. Let me go. Send me away. And he says to his father-in-law, he says to his boss here, you know the service in which I've done for you. You know that I've worked hard for you. You know I've been a good worker. In fact, if you put your finger there, later on he talks to his wives about this in chapter 31. And in chapter 31, verse 6, here's what he says about himself. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. In chapter 31, verse 40, he says, there I was in the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes. Long hours, little sleep, laboring away year after year after year, working for the man Laban, working hard. But let's just stop from let's ask a basic question. Beloved, why is work so hard? Why is work so hard? Well, you know, I hope that uh, work was given before man fell into sin. If you were to go back in the book of Genesis, the second chapter, it says the Lord God took the man that he created and put him in the Garden of Eden. And it says in chapter two, verse 15, he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend And keep it. That's before the fall. That's before sin. That's perfect creation. That's perfect environment. Man was created and then he was put to work. But this was the Garden of Eden. Perfection. There were no fire ants stinging. There were no briars sticking. There were no skunks stinking. Perfect working conditions. And their perfect working conditions, perfect environment, perfect husband, perfect wife, Perfect work. But they ate of that forbidden fruit and they plunged us into sin and we've ended up in a fallen sin cursed world. And one of the consequences of sin is that our work has been made much more difficult. Now, I'm giving you a lot of references and and I want you to jot them down. You can turn if you want to quickly. But let me tell you what God said to Adam back in Genesis chapter three, verses 17 through 19. Genesis three seventeen through 19. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake in toil. You shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth to you and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, 
You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Beloved, that's why work is so hard. Because we are sinners and we live in a sin-cursed world. That's why it's so difficult. And so we went to Jacob and said, well, Jacob, tell me about your job. Tell me about your work. He might say to us, I think, based on the word of God, first of all, that my work is hard. He said it to his wife. I've worked mightily for your father. You know the service and drought by day and, and throughout the night season and, and all these things. My work is hard, which brings us to the second point. And the second thing I think you might have said. So, Jacob, tell me about your work. Well, my work is hard. And you know what? My boss is difficult. My boss is difficult. Anybody feel that way? Miss Betty, don't you dare move. (laughs) But he might say to us, my boss is difficult. Uh, he's hard to work for. He's hard to get along with. He's difficult to please. Let's go back and look in the passage and look at Jacob's boss. Now, remember, Jacob's boss was not just his boss. He was his father-in-law as well. Genesis chapter 30, pick, up at, pick it up at verse 28. Genesis 30, 28. Then he, that is Laban, said, name me your wages and I'll give it. Remember, Jacob just came and said, send me away, dismiss me. I'm done. And Laban didn't want him to go anywhere. He says, name me your wages and I'll give it. Verse 29. So Jacob said to him, you know how I've served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. When the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone that is not spockled, uh, spockled, what, that's a new word, speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. Verse 35. So he, as we understand it now, Laban removed that day. The male goats that were speckled and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and every one that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them to the hand of his sons. That is Laban's sons. So at this point, Laban obviously has had some boys born by this time. Verse 36, then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Let me see if I can unpack and summarize that for you. Laban doesn't want him to go. So he offers him an opportunity to name his wages. And here's what they agreed to. Jacob says, listen, let me have all the livestock that are not the common colors. And in fact, it seems that he goes so far to say he's only going to take the ones that are born from this point onward. Because he says, you're not going to give me anything. But maybe from this point onward, I'm going to take all those that are not the common colors. And so Laban agrees to this, but then he stacks the deck against Jacob. He removes all the ones 
that are the least common ones, those that are speckled and spotted and so forth. And he gives them to his sons. And then he separates that flock from Jacob and the rest of his flock. So he makes two flocks and he separates them by a three day journey. And so what's going on here is Laban agrees, but he seems to stack the deck. He gave the rest to Jacob. So it's going to be a lot harder for Jacob to get spotted and speckled in these least common colors because he doesn't have any of those type of animals to start with. He's got the rest of the flock. And if this isn't bad enough, he goes even further and showing just how difficult his boss was. And you get to chapter 31. Now remember, this is his father-in-law. Chapter 31, verses 7 and 8. Look at what it says in 31, 7 and 8. He's talking to his wives again. Chapter 31, 7 and 8. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. By the way, I don't think that was ten increases and ten raises and ten bonuses. Look at what it says in chapter 31, verse 8. If he said, thus the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said, thus the streak shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streak. So it seems that Laban was changing the rules and changing the agreement even during all this time. Same chapter, chapter 31, drop down to verse 38. These are the words that Laban hears from Jacob himself. Jacob's, Jacob's going to say these words to Laban. Genesis 31, 38. These 20 years I've been with you. So we know he worked 14 years for the daughters, obviously six years in here now. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. They're young. I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. In other words, that was against Jacob. Laban didn't suffer for that. Verse 40. There I was in the day the drought consumed me. The frost by night, my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I've been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you've changed my wages 10 times. Let me ask you a question real quick. Is your boss looking a little bit better at this point? Is your situation looking a little bit more pleasant at this point? Are you feeling better about your job as you listen to Jacob? Jacob, when you ask him about his job and his work, he said, listen, I want you to know, I'll just be honest with you. My work is hard. My boss is difficult. But I believe that if you had time and you could continue talking, he would add one more comment to the conversation. And I believe if you kept talking to him, he would add this to the conversation. He would say, my God is good. My God is good. Now you say, what in the world does God have to do with our work? Well, listen, if you're thinking that, you need to lean in real close and listen to what I'm going to share with you today. God cares a great deal about your job. God cares a great deal about your work. God cares about our labor. Now, the next part of the story gets a little bit weird sounding to us. And it's one of those passages that you just you can't quite get your arms wrapped around this. Um, this is not one you talk about a lot. I know that Steve Carpenter and I, we were on the way to Castle. We started talking about this. Why? I don't know. I guess because you deal with livestock. This is not something I talk a lot about, but let's read the rest of chapter 30, verse 37 through 43. Chapter 30, verses 37 through 43. Now, Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of almond and chestnut trees. So he takes these parts of the tree, peeled white strips in them. And exposed the white which was in the rods. 
And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks and the gutters that is in the watering trough. So he has these rods, he's peeled them to the white. He puts them in the watering troughs where the flocks come to drink. They should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streak and all the brown in the flock of Laban. He put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. Do you understand so far? He's taking these rods, put them to the white, putting them in the water trough. He's making two different flocks here, not mixing his flock and Laban's flock. Verse 41. And it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus, the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now, you read that. And if you're like me, you think this. What in the world? What in the world's all that about? What is all this peeling of rods and sticking them in the water troughs and putting them in there for some and not the others and, and getting all these? Was this rod business just superstition? Some believe that it was. Was it magic? No, I'm convinced that, you know, Jacob was an experienced keeper of livestock. He's been keeping livestock for decades. He's been raising, caring for animals for decades. And I, I know that Jacob knew a lot about breeding animals. And, and I believe the key to understanding this, uh, this whole business about the rods and all this, we might call it selective breeding here. In fact, um, if you look back at chapter 30, verse 38, it says in the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks and the gutters and the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they should. Next word is conceive. When they came to drink. Now, I think that's one of the key words of this passage is the word conceive. You see it again later on. The Hebrew word that's translated conceive here in the New King James. It literally means to be hot. When applied to an animal, we would say it how that an animal is in heat. And this idea about the rods, and we're not sure about all this, but this is this makes sense, I think, at least to me. Um, But we're not sure. But some believe that what this whole rod business is all about is that these rods, when they were peeled and they were placed in the water troughs, they could have released something that served as a sexual stimulant to get these animals to the point of mating and producing these flocks. Now, we're not sure, but that kind of makes sense. Well, maybe we can ask Jacob when we get to heaven if we think about it. What was that rod business all about? I doubt we'll worry about it then. But that, that's one idea. But you know what? Let me just tell you the ultimate uh, thing here. It was God who was blessing Jacob. It was God who was ensuring that he got this flock full of uh, spotted and speckled and, and so forth. God had made promises to Abraham Jacob inherited those promises. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse them who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
That's Jacob's promise now. And we know that God promised him wonderful things when he saw that stairway, that ladder, that ramp to heaven. God made promises to him. And you know what? God was fulfilling the promise. In fact, look at chapter 30, verse 27. Right after Jacob comes and says, let me go. Laban said to him, please stay. Please stay. If I found favor in your eyes, for I've learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. What did God say to Abraham? I'll make you a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And here we find it going on. And God had spoken to him during this hard time of trying to breed a father. And here's what's interesting. God had spoken to him about this whole business of the rods and the speckled sheep and all, or at least about the flock. Look at chapter 31, verses 10 through 13. 31, 10 through 13. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Remember, God made those promises. Where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. God was keeping his promise. God had blessed him. He'd given him a family and now he was blessing him materially. He was giving him a flaw. And so you see there that Laban, uh, much of this is being uh, handed over to Jacob in this. Now you say, that's great for Jacob. Good job, Jacob. Praise the Lord. But maybe you're thinking, what about me? <clears throat> what about my job? Well, listen, I told you, dear brother and sister. God cares about your work, too. And in fact, he cares about the things that you face. And he knows your work is hard. He knows when your boss is difficult on your case. And we won't even talk about co-workers today. We won't even mention them. So the question is, how do we get to the point where our job, our work is not just endured? How can we get to the point where our job is not just going through the motions? How can we get to the point where our job and our work is meaningful uh, in our lives? And is that even possible? Well, again, in order to answer those questions, we have to go to the word of God and find out what God says about all this. Now, I don't have time to unpack all this. so I'm going to give you three things real quickly and I'll give you some scripture reference to go with it. And I want you to jot these down, please. And then you can go back and you can think about these and meditate and study them further. But I want to give you three summary statements about your work and about your job and about your labor that we find based upon the teaching of the word of God. So three things that we must recognize as a child of God, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to recognize three things in particular. Number one, we need to recognize that our work is a blessing. Our work is a blessing. If you want to jot a reference down, here's the reference. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verses 10 through 12. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verses 10 through 12. I could have selected others, but listen to second Thessalonians three, 10 through 12. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. 
Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Work is a blessing. You say, well, you don't know my job. No, listen, work is a blessing. We know right away it'll keep you from becoming a busybody. That's great. That's wonderful. But there's so much more. Through our work, we can provide for our families. It says, now those who are such, we command, exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ, they work in quietness and eat their own bread. We can provide for our families. We can provide for those who are without. You're doing that even now through these shoe boxes, these bread banks, and you're giving, you're helping those who are without. We can provide to help spread the gospel. We're doing that in so many ways. We can be good stewards of the things that God has given to us so graciously. Through our work, we can bring honor and glory to God. Work is a blessing. Now listen, this is a teaching of the Word of God that we've got to be rock solid on. We can't wait for the feeling on this one. Why? Because tomorrow's Monday. And real early tomorrow morning, the alarm's going to sound. And you can't just wait for the feeling to hit you tomorrow morning and say, Glory, work is a blessing. (laughs) This is one of those walk by faith, not by sight deals. We've got to be rock solid on this. Work is a blessing. And maybe you need to write that uh, on your mirror in your bathroom. You know, write it with a dry erase marker. Work is a blessing. Maybe you need to write it on a post-it note and put it beside your computer monitor, your tractor dashboard, your cubicle, your desk, wherever a lot of work happens in your life. Above the kitchen sink full of dirty dishes, maybe above a pail of dirty diapers, write that that work is a blessing. Because we forget that in the midst of it. And in the midst of our work, as we're reminded of that, we can begin to thank God by faith, thanking Him, God, that work is a blessing. And so the Bible is clear, work is a blessing. It's something God gave us. It was given before the fall of man. Purpose, meaning, provision, help of other people, glory of God. But here's another important thing you need to write down. If you're a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to write this down. Remember this. I work for Jesus. I work for Jesus. You say, preacher, we know you're a preacher. I'm a farmer. I'm a teacher. I'm a laborer. Now, listen, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you work for Jesus. Write this reference down, please. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord... And not to men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Your office might have a company name on it. Your W-2 also has a company name on it. But ultimately, if you're a child of God, you work for the Lord Jesus Christ. You're doing the Lord's business. You're in that job by divine appointment. You may not like that at this point. That's why you need to write down work is a blessing. And I work for Jesus. And in the days to come, the place of employment might change. The job duties and responsibilities may change. But your job remains the same. It's the labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, preacher, what does that mean? How does that play itself out that I work for Jesus? Well, it means this. Everything you do in your job should honor the Lord Jesus Christ. It should mean that you're honest, you're hardworking, you're faithful, you're kind, and on and on. You are Jesus' representative in that place. 
You should be the best worker in that place. You should have the best attitude. Now listen, I know that's good preaching and hard living. That's why to get back to what the Bible teaches about this. To realize that I work for Jesus Christ. You're to work that job like Jesus worked that job. You remember Jesus knew what it was to have a job, don't you? He was a carpenter. He labored in his uh, adopted father's carpenter shop. Well, I'd love to see some of the furniture the Lord Jesus made, wouldn't you? He knew what it was to work. But he always did everything for whom? For his father. His focus was his father. And you realize, beloved, as the scripture teaches here, that when you work for Jesus, you'll be rewarded by Jesus. And that'll sure help on those hard days and those stressful days and those days when your work is really hard and your boss is really difficult to remember. Listen, I'm laboring for Jesus. Jesus sees it all and I'll be rewarded by Jesus. And so we realize today that work is a blessing. As a child of God, I realize I work for Jesus. <clears throat> One more we're through. And it's this. God is my source. God is my source. <clears throat> I love when God does this. When he aligns my daily devotions with the sermon topic for that week. I just love it when he does that. Makes my job easier. Listen to what one of my daily devotions said just this past week. Now, I'm, I'm preaching this today, studying this today. Here's what my devotion said. Here's what it said. Your job shouldn't be your security. Your job is a channel, but God is your source. If you understand this, you'll have so much less stress in your life. If you think that your job is what keeps you financially secure, you're going to be insecure your entire life. You've got to understand that God is the source of your supply so you can depend on him to know exactly what you need and give it to you. Jobs may come and go. Bank accounts rise and fall. Economies go up and down. Stock markets can go bull or bear. It doesn't matter. You can trust in God's wealth for your security. And beloved, if we could recognize that and understand that and live that out, imagine the load of stress that would go off of our shoulders to realize that God is my source. He said, do you have a reference for that? Yes. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. You probably already know it. And my God shall supply all your need according to, notice that according to, not out of, but according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God is my source. Christian, do you want to change the way you look at your job? The way you look at your work, then you must believe what the Bible teaches and not only believe it, but live it out. When it comes to work, realize work is a blessing. Realize that you work for Jesus Christ. Realize that God is your source. And I think it'll help you a long way in dealing with the job that God has given you. You know, when you're working, it's important to know when it's quitting time. And it's mine. So let's pray. Father, thank you for work. Thank you for labor. Lord, we admit there are jobs and things that we do that are more enjoyable and things that are less enjoyable. But Lord, all of it's a blessing. There are lessons to learn in all of those areas and all those times. 
Sometimes it's lessons of humility and faithfulness and perseverance. Sometimes it's lessons of your goodness and seeing your creation and your glory. But Lord, in all these things, you're working in us and through us as we work and labor for you. I thank you for the jobs that you've given to all of us here. Whether those that are here retired and laboring, Lord, maybe not for pay, but maybe for different reasons, enjoyment and service and so forth. And then for those who are punching in and punching out or working for a salary. Lord, many will get up tomorrow after the weekend and realize it's time to go back. I pray that you would turn our hearts toward you at that moment. Remind us of these truths. That this is a blessing. There are many people who would love to be in our position. Love to receive our pay. Love to have these benefits. Love to be able to provide for their families. But we have been blessed and we can be a blessing to others. And we can help others. We can spread the gospel. We can be used for your glory. Help us to remember that no matter what we're doing, we're to labor for you. We work for Jesus. May we always honor him. And finally, help us to remember... In a day where it seems so easily people are let go and laid off and cut and so forth. That you are our source. And maybe some even here today, are they're struggling. They, they've lost their employment. And they're struggling in that. Lord, may they rest in that truth. May you meet their needs as you promised there in Christ Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning. 210, I preach to the Christian today. If you're not a Christian, you can become one. If you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ, we'd love to help you do that. Maybe you need to come today and give your job afresh and anew to the Lord and ask for His help and ask for His strength. Maybe you're, you're, uh, you're not looking forward to tomorrow. Well, come talk to the Lord about that and ask Him to help you to begin to understand truth that He gives us in His Word and to change your heart and attitude. I have to do that too. Would you believe that? Quite often. 210, my Jesus, I love thee. Let's stand together and sing 210.